0: This morning, we are going to look at verse 13, which is the sixth uh, part of the Lord's prayer, and we're going to split it up a little bit, but we're going to look at the sixth stanza or the sixth part of that, where in the New King James that we read, and do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. We're going to save the kingdom and the power and the glory. We're going to uh, save that for another Sunday. But this morning, we want to look at the first part of that verse, verse 13. Do you realize that the Bible is a book of conflict? You ever thought about that? I mean, people would say, oh, the Bible is a book of peace, and certainly... It is about peace because the central part of Scripture is the peacemaker, right? Jesus. But think with me that the Bible is a book of conflict. I mean, you're not even into the third chapter in the book of Genesis, and there's already rebellion and conflict in the new creation. You don't have to read very far. Third chapter, conflict, rebellion. In this perfect paradise that God had made and His unique image bearers, male, female, that He put in there, there's conflict and rebellion against this Creator. And then when you read chapter 4, the next chapter, you have the offspring of these two image bearers, And the first murder is committed. We're not even in, we're just in chapter 4. And there's already great conflict. Now, if you really want to be technical, you can even go back before creation. And the Bible tells us in different areas, Isaiah 14, that speaks about Satan's rebellion in the heavens... Revelation 12, 3-4 suggests that a third of the angels rebelled with him. It doesn't say that, but it's implied, and many people uh, consider that a passage that would suggest that. But nevertheless, many fallen angels rebelled with Lucifer in the heavens before creation ever took place. So, there is a lot of conflict, not only in the Bible, but really in God's work. Think about when Jesus began His ministry. Matthew chapter 4, it's a passage always, Luke 4 is a parallel, but in Matthew chapter 4, after Jesus was baptized, the Bible says that the Spirit, that's the Holy Spirit, led Jesus into the wilderness where Jesus would face conflict, that Jesus would face conflict actual conflict with Satan himself. So the Bible has a lot to say about conflict. Even the ministry of Jesus came, if you will, to create conflict. Remember when Jesus said that you follow me and brother will be turned against brother and Son against father, mothers. In other words, he wasn't advocating tearing up families. But there's conflict when you align yourself with Christ. Remember what the Bible says about Jesus' ministry in 1 John 3.8. John the Apostle, and when we covered 1 John, we talked about this. He who sins is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. And here it is, for... This purpose, the Son of God was manifested or revealed that He, Jesus, might do what? Destroy the works of the devil. Jesus came to provoke a conflict against the enemy. So when we come to the sixth petition, lead us not into temptation but deliver us from the evil one, This is a petition in the Lord's Prayer that deals with conflict on the believer's part. Uh, You might say, as certainly would be appropriate, is that this deals with what we often refer to as spiritual warfare. How many of you know what I'm talking about, spiritual warfare? You may not know what I'm talking about, but you probably lived some spiritual warfare recently. All right, if you are a Christian and you're in this earth, you face conflict. You face spiritual warfare. And the Bible addresses that here in the Lord's Prayer. And so here in the Lord's Prayer where it says, lead us not into temptation, we'll talk about that. I like a quote Tony Evans made where he said, it's asking God to keep you from getting into situations that that detour you From the kingdom road. Asking God to keep you from getting into situations that keep you off the kingdom highway. We don't need exits off the kingdom pathway of God's purpose and God's will. Now let me give a few words of explanation before we look at our outline here this morning. (coughs) And one of the things that when we look at this petition, I don't know if you could go to Matthew 6.13, I'm not sure where I have it And There you go. Just leave that there for a minute. This is a prayer of protection. The last stanza is the longest of the Lord's Prayer, verse 13. And Jesus tells us that we should pray... Uh, to the Lord to not lead us or allow us to be put in those situations of conflict or temptation or sinful situations, but deliver us from evil. Some might would read this and think, well, wait a minute, is that suggesting that God leads us to do something that's wrong? Is God leading me to Commit sin? No, and we'll, we'll look at that, we'll unpack that in just a minute. But again, it's a request for divine protection in the midst of a fallen world that's bombarding and attacking us with evil every day. If you're not aware that we live in a fallen world in which evil is attacking At a greater number than probably any generation, then you're living somewhere under a rock. You're not really here. We're gonna check your pulse before you leave. From the time, and again, I'm talking this is a this is a prayer that Jesus teaches to his disciples. All right, so principles in this are aspects that his followers, his disciples, pray. And believe God for. And so as a believer, the reality is, is that from the time that you wake up, from the time that you wake up to the time that you go to bed at night, and even while you're sleeping, some of you can testify to what you think is insomnia, sometimes is a torment in the night. That you are in spiritual attack or spiritual danger, if you will. Now, we always have to be careful that we're not going to one extreme or the other, and we'll look at that in just a minute. But the Bible says that this entire world system, this cosmos, not talking about the scientific cosmos, but the the world that uses the term that speaks of the influence of the world is influencing us to move away from God every second. And so the enemy is very pointed in his attack, not only in keeping those who reject him, keeping them in a place of rejection, but also to believers that he ultimately can't eternally touch, but yet he can torment and attack us in various points in our life. And we pray, and we better pray, to our Father who art in heaven, protect us from the evil one. I need that. You need that. Now, not to impress you with Greek, but it is worthwhile to point out that the word, you know, the New Testament was written in the Greek. And so many times when they refer to the Greek, they're kind of trying to go back and look at sometimes the definition or interpretation of a word might have various meanings, and that word temptation is what is called a neutral word. And what I mean by that is it can be something positive or it can be something negative. Your Bible might have the translation where it uses the word trials, and that's the interpreter trying to tip the scales a little bit to interpret that uh, it's speaking about trials, and that's probably accurate too, but it's trials and temptations both can fit. Uh, negatively, temptation is temptation to do that which is sinful, to do that which is evil. Trials is something positive that the Lord allows us to go through to test us, to strengthen our faith. You remember what James says in James one: count it all joy when you go through various what trials, because you know that those trials strengthen and build your faith. When something is tested, it reflects what is weak, what needs to be worked on. Testing, contrary to what we may have thought when we were in school, I hated tests. Some of you. If you're like me, I was a bad test taker. I would literally forget everything the minute I opened that page and saw the first question. I would go into an internal panic like, I don't know any of this. And I'd kind of call but it, but I hated that. I w- but it reveals in its positive sense a lack of what I don't know, Okay. But in a negative sense, temptations are meant to push us or drive us to do something that is outside or not consistent with the will of God. For example, if you go to the gym to lift weights, and you can see I do that daily, um, <laughs> that if you go to lift weights and you're under that heavy burden of weightlifting and you're lifting those weights and it's a heavy weight, and it's causing pain and pressure, that's a positive use of lifting those weights. That's positive. You're in pain, but it's positive because you're reaping the benefit of it. But if somebody took one of those heavy weights and threw it at you and hurt you, that would be a negative use of that weight. You with me? And so... Uh, the pain from that kind of weight would be different because it came from a different source and it has a different purpose. One, trials are meant to develop you and part of the sanctifying work that God does in our life and the other is meant to harm you. And there's a difference between God's trials and the devil's temptations. God wants to develop us. We are sanctified, but we are being sanctified. Sanctified is just one of those Bible words that speaks about the application of the gospel that is marking us and separating us more and more to be Christ-like. But Satan, he's throwing all the evil he can our way to destroy us. In fact, that's what Jesus called him, that he is a destroyer. And the interesting thing is, if you think about it, in the sovereignty of God, which keeps everything in perfect balance, that even those weights, if you will, that are thrown at you by the devil to destroy you and attack you, do you realize that God is bigger than the bad? That God can take that which is thrown at you to harm you and use it for good in his purposes? You ever heard of Joseph in the Bible? What you meant for evil... What? God supersedes because God is an ultimate sovereign control. So Matthew 6.13 in the New Living Translation I think is more accurate where it says, I don't know if we could find that, I'm sorry if I got them out of order, but if you can find Matthew 6.13 in the New Living, it's okay, we'll, we'll come to it. He says, but don't let us yield to temptation, there it is, I think that kind of reflects a little easier way to understand this. Don't let us yield to temptation. But I think the context is using it temptation to do evil because he says, rescue us from what? The evil one. I don't think it's talking about necessarily trials, but it's talking about situations in which the evil one that we'll identify, and we know, uh, wants to push us into doing that which is harmful. Deliver us from evil. And when we pray that, we're praying, give us discernment. Give me illumination. Give me the ability to detect what is an attack from the enemy and what is perhaps my own sinful choices and disobedience in my life. Give me discernment. Uh, It's a prayer for God's strength against Satan's attacks. So only as we are energized, if you will, empowered, maybe a better word, by the Holy Spirit, can we willfully and triumphantly withstand any attack from the enemy. Now the Bible speaks clearly in multiple ways about how the believer and how different aspects of our life that we're in battle That we're in a war. Psalm 24, 8 presents God as a warrior. Who is this king of glory? The Lord strong and mighty. The Lord mighty in battle. Psalm 24, 8. Ephesians 6, 12. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world. Against mighty powers in this dark world. Against evil spirits... In the heavenly places. We are fighting. We're not fighting. My neighbor, my mother-in-law, my boss. No. There's a spiritual force that's behind these things that we see. Is what Paul is saying in Ephesians 6.12. You Remember what Paul told Timothy in 1 Timothy 1.18. He said, Timothy, my son, here are my instructions for you. Based on the prophetic words spoken about you earlier, may they help you to do what? Fight well in the Lord's battles. Fighting, conflict is a part of our Christian life. Paul would go on to say in 1 Timothy 6, verse 12, Fight the good fight of faith. The only only good fight I ever was in was the fights I won. I remember one fight, I think I've said this a few times, I'll never forget it, I think I was maybe in fourth grade, John Dubois, that was his name. I will remember that name till I die. And I harassed John just like kids do, they're stupid, right? Brain stems aren't all, you know, there, and cells and whatever. And John Dubois just had his fill of Tim Campbell's harassment. And finally, he turned around and planted his fist through my head. Now, you know, when you get hit like that, you got to act cool. Even though your eyes are watering, you can't see, you know. And you know the weird thing about guys when they get in conflict and fight? They usually become pals. Women don't tend to do that. Just saying. I'm being a little Dr. Phil here. But, but guys can get into conflict... And go out and have a beer two days later. And be pals. The only good fight is the fight you win. Paul said, I fought the good fight. Why did he win? Because Christ was doing the fighting on Paul's behalf. We have a victory as we sang, right? What is our victory? Is because in my willpower and my strength? No, because in... The battle is the Christ. And Paul could say in 2 Timothy 4 7, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. So, this morning, with that kind of explanation, we're going to unpack some things this morning. And the title of the message today is How to Face the Enemy. How to Face the Enemy. And just before we begin, let me give you a little heads up. I am only going to cover the first two points this morning, and we will do a part two next week, all right? So if you need the back of that outline to mark up, I'll give you another outline, and there'll be some things I'll include next week that I don't have uh, in today's message. If you're a note taker, if you're not, just go back to sleep and we'll wake you up when it's over, okay? Come on, people, laugh, smile, all right? Enjoy life, all right? All right, I want to look at four foundational principles as we unpack around this theme that's presented in verse 13 of the Lord's Prayer. Four foundational principles, and this morning we're just going to look at the first two. Number one is the Christian faces a personal threat. It says, rescue us from the evil one. We face a personal threat. And as I said, the New Living Translation makes that a little more helpful uh, in understanding. You remember First John 4, 4, the Bible says, and make sure we have this in balance, but you belong to God. And then he says, The Spirit who lives in you is greater than the Spirit. Notice the Holy Spirit, capital S, little Spirit, implying the evil influences of, the, of Satan, that the Spirit who lives in you, the latter part of that, is greater than the Spirit who lives in the world. Greater is He, the King James says, that who is in you than he who is in the world. So, again, we need to make sure that we always accentuate the greatness of God as his children, all right? That this is not something we are just doing freelancing and doing spiritual battle or spiritual warfare. And we'll, uh, we'll talk about the evil one more specifically in the next point. But he says, Do not let us yield to temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. Let me suggest four realities about temptation, okay? Because we have a personal threat of an enemy that wants to knock us out of the game, if you will. Four realities about temptation. There's more, but for time's sake, these are four uh, realities that I think are helpful. Number one is that God tests our faith, but He never tempts our faith. You see the difference? This is where, again, when you read a scripture and the King James do not lead us into, into temptation, you need to make sure you're understanding that. That's why sometimes comparing it with different versions or whatever, but, but also the Bible is the best commentary on scripture first or rather James 1 13 is very clear let no one say when he is tempted quote I'm being tempted by God for what does the scripture say for God cannot be tempted by evil nor does he himself tempt anyone remember what we said Now, talking about trials, not allowing us to go through trials, but he doesn't use evil to somehow direct us. He will allow us, as we saw, as we referenced Joseph, he will sometimes allow the evil perpetrated by the enemy, Job. Ever heard of him? Now, he will sometimes allow that, but he himself is not playing some kind of cosmic game by By putting us in and where we say, well, I couldn't help but doing it because God had predestined me to sin. That is unbiblical, all right? And certainly it is a misunderstanding of anything related to predestination. But the purpose of divine testing is is to strengthen or sanctify. And you remember what satanic tempting is, is to destroy our lives, to deceive and destroy. John MacArthur has a helpful note. Some of you use his study Bible. And there's a helpful note that I'll read. God does not tempt men. We read James 1.13. But he will subject them to trials that may expose them to Satan's assaults, as in the case of Job and Peter. The petition, talk about verse 13 reflects the believing one's desire to avoid the dangers of sin altogether. God knows what one's need is before one asks, uh, Matthew 6, verse 8. And he promises that no one will be subjected to testing beyond what he can endure, 1 Corinthians ten thirteen. But see, the Bible presents that we do have the threat of living in a fallen world. When we became born again, when we became believers, we were freed from the penalty of our sin, but we were not necessarily freed ultimately right now from the power of sin. But we have the power of the Spirit that is working in us to conform us and to direct and energize or empower our choices to make godly choices and to withstand the evil one, to withstand the enemy's attacks. Second truth is, is that temptation almost always begins in the flesh. What do I mean by flesh? It's not on the screen, but Romans 7:23, Paul says, Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord, so then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. Now we know flesh, our flesh, but the Bible uses the word flesh, Greek sarks, to speak of that which is the remaining sinful nature that the believer has. And so temptation always begins by my sinful desires or cravings that are a part from the purpose and will of God. I'll give you an example. We quoted James one thirteen. Look at James one fourteen. James 1.14. But each one is tempted. Remember he just got through saying, don't blame God for your sin. Next verse, verse 14. But each One, individually, is is tempted when he or she is drawn away, how? By his own desires and enticed. None of this, the devil, made me do it. It says the reason you're in the mess you're in... It is because those sinful choices that you're tempted with and we'll talk about how temptation is not equal with sin per se but that the genesis of my sinful action began with those unsanctified unholy desires that have yet to be put under the cross of Christ as a believer. Are you with me? So we're not blaming God, but it says, but each one, when they're drawn away by their own desires, is enticed. You see, our flesh, our sinful nature, sets fire to sinful actions and choices that we make. While we are born again and we are empowered with the Holy Spirit, we are not perfected yet. That won't happen until we have what the Bible speaks of as glorified bodies. See, we are battling the power of sin, but one day with a new body, we will be freed and enjoying and be freed from the presence of sin. But yet, we are fighting this spiritual battle. And what Satan does and I believe that Satan is generally powerless in the believer's life until we first say uh, yes to sin. You see, he exploits our carnal desires. He takes what we take a take a little taste of something. And all of a sudden, what's he going to do? Because of our fallen nature, he's going to energize that choice and make that which is deathly very appealing. You heard the preacher say that sin will always take you further than you wanted to go, make you pay more than you wanted to pay, and make you stay. Longer than you wanted to stay. Paul says in Ephesians 4, an example of this, verse 26 and 27, and don't sin by letting anger control you. Some of you need to understand that verse because your anger controls you. He says, don't let the sun go down while you're still angry, for anger does what? Gives a foothold to the devil. The root of bitterness, anger, rage, hostility. Remember Jesus said that hatred and anger or to hate your brother, rather, in your heart, he says is, in his eyes, the sin of murder. Kind of takes it up a notch. But the Bible says, don't give in, and you just fill in the blank of whatever. If it's not anger, whatever, you don't want to give the devil a foothold. Now, we don't have them too much today, but back, some of us can remember... Door-to-door salesman. And one of the techniques of the door-to-door salesman, that when they open the door, they wanted to stick their foot right there in the door so that they couldn't close the door. Right? You open the door, what does the devil do? He sticks his foot in there, and it gets harder to close that door. Don't open the door we notice that it doesn't say satan is credited with generating this anger it says don't you don't you have anger but he will certainly energize and use that for destructive purposes a third reality is this temptation in and of itself is not Sin. Do you understand the difference? To be tempted, we're tempted all the time. But temptation is not necessarily sinful. And some people <clears throat> who may be very sensitive believe that they're in this struggle because they're always in this fight of temptation. Now, some of that could be that you need to change your entertainment choices. If you're an alcoholic, don't work at the public's liquor exchange. But temptation, well, listen. Do you remember the Bible says that Jesus himself was tempted? Hebrews 4.15 says, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points, tempted as we are, and yet without sin. All points. And I take that to mean all means all. Martin Luther, the reformer, had a pithy statement when he says, you cannot prevent the birds from flying over your head, but you can keep them from building a nest in your hair. (laughs) Look, I can't control what's out there, but I can control what comes in my living room. Remember what the writer of Hebrews says about running the race? Let's lay aside the weight of sin that so easily entangles us in order to run the race. Don't let the birds build a nest in your hair. And the fourth reality is, and I think this is really subtle, so pay attention here, the source of temptation (coughs) often comes by appealing To what is good. Let me explain it. In fact, I think I have a statement on the screen. Temptation is often strong because it comes in the form of an enticement to satisfy legitimate needs through illegitimate means. You see that? Satan's strategy, for example, remember he doesn't have any new new tricks. Remember his strategy in the wilderness with Jesus, we referenced that earlier, Matthew 4, Luke 4. Bread is not evil. You've been fasting 40 days and 40 nights. Guess what? You're hungry. Fast 4 hours and I'm hungry. Bread is not evil. When he tempted him to alleviate that hunger, that was a real hunger. What about when Satan tempted him to throw himself off the pinnacle of the temple and God would protect him? Divine protection was something that was promised to the Messiah in Psalm 91. That was not evil in itself to depend on God's protection. Remember he said the angels will will host you down. And then all the kingdoms of the world. The authority of those kingdoms was something that God had promised Messiah all throughout Scripture. Psalm 2, for one. But here's the deal. Satan was offering legitimate things, but to be seized or taken in illegitimate ways. The temptation was aimed at seducing Jesus into achieving what was divinely provided by God by making sinful choices by apprehending or taking it illegitimately outside of the will and purpose of God. You see, temptation oftentimes comes at us very subtly. For example, the joy of eating might lead to gluttony. The blessing of rest might lead to sloth. The enjoyment of quietness might become detachment and non-communication. We admire industriousness, but greed is something is sinful. The liberty to enjoy certain things can be an excuse to this old world licentiousness, which means it's that you lack legal or moral restraints. What became a little taste and indulgence, indulgence and in behavior now. You have a licentious, no restraints, no red lights. You're totally given over to the indulgence of that sin. Remember Ananias and Sapphira? Remember those guys in Acts 5? The Bible tells us, it's not on the screen, but I'll just refresh your memory a few verses here in Acts 5, But a certain man named Ananias with Sapphira, his wife, sold a possession. The implication may be possession of land. And he kept back part of the proceeds, his wife also being aware of it, and they brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. And the implication was they had sold this And they were now giving all of the proceeds to the work of God. But that wasn't true. They were hypocritical. They were saying one thing but doing something else. They kept part of it back. But Peter said to Ananias, listen to this, Why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? You have not lied to men, but you've lied to God. If you're not aware of what happened to them, you can read that for your daily devotions tomorrow. You see, the Christian faces a personal threat against sin. But let me go to the second one. The second part of this that we'll look at this morning is that a Christian faces a particular target. A particular target. Not that they're a particular target, but we face a particular target. Says, but rescue us, the verse 13, rescue us from the evil one. First Peter 5 8 says, Stay alert, watch out for your great enemy who? The devil. He prowls around like, he's not the lion of Judah. He prowls around like. A roaring lion looking for someone to devour. You see, the, 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 the law of the jungle is to find the weakest prey and to attack, to devour. We see his identity as the devil. Now, in case you're a little confused on this, the devil does not wear a little red tights. And have a pitchfork. We have a cartoonish way that we have imagined the devil. He's not a fictional character of fables. He doesn't jump out in the middle of the mall and says, I'm the devil! He doesn't do that. He's crafty and he's subtle. And this cartoonish way that we have oftentimes described the enemy... C.S. Lewis points out that it actually serves for us to, as long as we see him as a comedic character devil, that it kind of perpetuates the idea that the devil doesn't really exist. In fact, there's a quote I'll have on the screen. He says this in his famous book, The Screwtape Letters, which is about spiritual warfare, and it's a book about writing from a senior devil to his nephew of how to attack a Christian. It's literature. It's very creative. And if you're not familiar with C.S. Lewis, that's an excellent book to begin reading. But notice what he says. I don't know if you can read this up there. He says, C.S. Lewis says this, the fact that devils are predominantly comic figures in the modern world Imagination will help you. Now, this is Screw Tape writing to or, or, um, the senior devil writing to his nephew. So he's giving devilish advice. You with me? Yeah. All right. The fact that devils are predominantly comic figures in the modern imagination will help you. If any faint suspicion of your existence begins, meaning your existence as a demon begins to arise in his mind, the Christians, the one that he's working on, suggest to him a picture of something in red tights and persuade him that since he cannot believe in that, it's an old textbook method of confusing them. He therefore cannot believe in you. As long as you think... That the devil is just the things of myth and comics, then certainly you've fallen into the trap where we often do. We accentuate Satan to the point that we overemphasize, and there are unfortunately Christians have been teaching on spiritual warfare where everything's a devil. You sneeze, you got a devil. You're sick, you got a devil. Everything's a demon. And what we tend to do, we just think, oh, these people are nuts. But what often happens is we go to the other extreme as if none of this is real. You know what, Jesus, I've already mentioned Matthew 4, I won't go through it again. But Jesus encountered a real devil, he encountered Satan firsthand. You and I probably will never encounter Satan. You see, Satan, the Bible tells us, is a created being. He does not possess attributes of the creator God. Meaning, he is not omnipresent. He cannot be everywhere at once. He can't be messing with me and messing at your house at the same time. You with me? We have this picture that God is on one side, and this demonic Darth Vader, darkness is on the evil, uh, on the other side. I haven't even seen paintings where it has this, somehow this angelic being across this chess uh, table of the globe and this demon on the other side, as though God and Satan are equal. They are not equal. Satan is a created fallen angel. Satan cannot read your mind. He can only get information by what you, what you say. And that's why words are important. He does not have all knowledge. You see, he is able to quote Scripture. Remember, In one sense, when he did that with Eve, he quoted the Word of God. He did it incorrectly. He quoted Scripture incorrectly to Jesus in Matthew 4. Even though he knows the written page, he does not have understanding. You know why he does not have understanding? Because he does not have the Holy Spirit to give him understanding. He's smart, but he ain't that smart. And so, all he can do is tempt, entice, energize our unbelief and sinful choices. He does not have ultimate control. A couple more scriptures. 2 Corinthians, talking about the subtlety of the devil. 2 Corinthians 11, verse 13 and 14. Paul, talking about false teachers, says these people are false teachers. Apostles. They are deceitful workers who disguise themselves as apostles of Christ. Talking about people in the day of Corinth that were pretending to be godly teachers sent from the apostles but were not. He says they're in disguise, imitating. Verse 14, he says, But I'm not surprised, for even Satan disguises himself is an angel of light. Nobody got involved in a cult by being enticed to, what are you all about? We're a cult. We're a cult. We want to control your mind. We want to take all your money. We want to separate you from your parents. We're one of the most popular cults around. Nobody ever does that. People get involved in Scientology and some of these Nefarious groups never get involved in it thinking this is a destructive cult. No. They get involved in it. Why? Because they have something that they perceive that this group or teaching can help them with. That's why they do it. And before they get involved, after they get the bite, what happens? Satan presents himself as an angel of light. What is light? Light's good right? But he's not an angel of light. He's not good. In fact, verse 15 says, So it is no wonder that his servants, meaning the false teachers, also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness, disguise themselves, for in the end they will get the punishment their wicked deeds deserve. When we looked at First John, you remember First John 2.18, Little children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming. Notice, capital A. There is a future man of sin identified as the Antichrist that the Bible speaks of. But then he says, even now, many Antichrists, little a, people that are Antichrist, anti. The gospel have come by which we know that it is the last hour. Second John seven, for many deceivers have gone out into the world who do not confess Jesus Christ is coming in the flesh. This is a deceiver and an antichrist. There are false teachers, and they they are energized by Satan himself. But we are praying that he would deliver us from the evil one Satan is the target we're not the target Satan the Bible presents because of the cross is defeated we have the victory the victory has not been totally consummated as it will be when Jesus returns but as of yet we are not the target Satan is the target okay Jesus said in Matthew 16:18 he said and I say to you Peter On this rock, and he wasn't talking about Peter. Peter wasn't the first pope. On this rock, your rock of confession that he just said, thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. On that confession, on the solidity of that rock-solid confession, I will build my church, and the gates of Hades, or the power of death, literally, cannot stand against it. The New Living Translation says it is powerless. And you see that is a in the Greek that is an offensive term. I don't mean offended like you made me mad. I mean offensive like you have defense and offense. Meaning that as the kingdom of God grows, as the purposes of God and God answers the prayer Not Father, on earth as it is in heaven, as that takes place in my life, my family, my culture, that the gates of hell will not be able to stand against the force of the kingdom of God overrunning it and overtaking it. It'll just get crushed in the advancement of the purpose of God. Tony Evans says this, and I'll close. He says, similarly, the church of the Lord Jesus is to adopt the agenda of its heavenly king and enact it on earth. Hell's attempt to stop the church's progress in history, hell's attempt to stop the church's progress in history is thwarted as the church executes heaven's authority on earth, on earth as it is in heaven. The Christian faces a personal threat, and the Christian faces a particular target. Next week, we'll look at the latter two as we continue to unpack this.